The Right Hook Podcast. Make business sense on the road with the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater SUV with low BIK, 200 euro VRT and a five-year warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Thursday and this is George Hook with The Right Hook on News Talk. Here's a digest of some of the items we had on the programme today. Well, we despair now of a government and Enda Kenny's just been rejected in the vote for Taoiseach, as has uh, Micheál Martin. There's nobody else in the shake-up, so that's it. And uh, Willie O'D then, Fianna Fáil's uh, Rottweiler, uh, today was talking about the independence. The public are becoming increasingly uh, disillusioned and fed up, quite frankly, with the whole clearing circus. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's time, it's decision time now. You know, we've just got to get on with it. And that's, that's uh, we, we are saying to the independents, today is their last opportunity. If you vote for Michal Martin as Taoiseach, uh, if they don't choose to do that today, they can they can choose either to absent uh, themselves in the entire process or vote for Indicani to head up a minority for the Gaelic government. Uh, it seems to me uh, that William is blaming the independents for all this, whereas the two major parties in Dolairn happen to be Fine Gael and Fine Fall, who have a majority. And whether they have a majority with one supporting the other or they coalesce to have one majority, they have the answers. Not a bundle of independents who haven't got a single common thought between them and want all of their own parish pump ideas and have no interest in national government. Anyway, Shane Ross, he's the Independent Alliance TD. Uh, He wasn't impressed with Willie O'Dea or Willie's ideas. And this is one of the reasons why we are abstaining. We do not like receiving ultimatums from any party that we should vote one way today or they get off the pitch. We do not respond to that. Um, yeah, well, OK. I, I just, why are we pandering to these people? I just don't get it. They're independents who have no national uh, platform, uh, no national ideas. They're talking about hospitals or DITs or roundabouts on motorways. Uh, all they want is their own narrow focus. Meanwhile, uh, the country is getting worse and worse. Uh, I mean, we should just hand out fiddles uh, for these guys to fiddle away while the country burns. Five o'clock, I'll have more for you um, uh, on this very issue. Well, uh, a new survey on healthcare has found that a large number of patients opt to attend an emergency department rather than a GP when they have a sniffly nose or, more importantly, flu symptoms. Well, of course, it's cheaper, isn't it? It's immeasurably cheaper to go to A&E than go to your GP. Therefore, you go to A&E. But this is against the whole principle, which all these health wizards have been talking about in government for donkey's years. The idea that there is a centre with a GP and a nurse and a physiotherapist and everything else, and this will release uh, the pressures on hospitals. All they've done is actually create a situation where more pressure is piled upon hospitals. Don't blame GP. GP has to earn a living to pay for his rent and rates and taxes and everything else. The problem is we haven't got a system, and this is about a system. 
just the the other news um, on on literally following on the heels of the tragedy at the National Stadium on Saturday night, we've known now for a long time, <clears throat> and we we've particularly known with the movie with Will Smith concussion that the NFL has had a major problem with brain trauma for a long time. And uh, now more more and more. It's a trickle at the moment, but I think it will be a flood of more and more American footballers retiring early uh, because of the fear of the damage they are doing to themselves uh, by playing that sport. And... Um, the the New York Times came out and showed that uh, the NFL uh, fiddled the books to make it look like there weren't concussions. Believe me, it's going to. We we've talked to the daughter of Jeff Astle about soccer. Rugby is already uh, well documented, and and next week uh, I'm going to the Center for Brain Trauma for Brain Trauma Injury uh, in Boston. I I know that I'm going to be looking at brains which have been frozen that they can now work it work on an autopsy, and I'll bring you that news next week uh, from Boston. I'm going to Boston because, of course, of the Gateway, the Gateway to Europe uh, conference, which which we've supported now for five years in their efforts to bring jobs and business to Ireland. Uh, we'll have the show every day from Boston while I'm away, so you won't miss a trick. Now, NUI Galway, mandatory gender quotas are being proposed in an effort to get more women into senior posts. I'm opposed to quotas, but I'm certain it's one thing to have a quota that a political party has to have a woman on the ticket. And it's a completely different situation in an academic institution where uh, they are proposing that half the senior posts are given to women and half the senior posts are given to men, thereby turning around and saying that academic excellence and achievement is meaningless. It goes against the very ethos of the idea of a center of intellectual excellence, that your intellect doesn't count. What counts is your gender. And that's nonsense. And if you're opposed to that, you can send me a text to 53106. Cost 30 cents. And I've tons of texts on the politicians. Uh, why do independents have to hold so many meetings and groupings? Their behavior is less independent and they're more like a political party. Danny Carlo. Well, they are. I mean, you have Social Democrats, three of them, and they're a political party. Or Shane Ross's Independent Alliance or the Rural Alliance. And, of course, they're independents. Um, and PJ Meath think we should give it a try. We should have the independents doing it. <laughs> Unbelievable. You can't seriously have 80 independents trying to govern the country. We'd have a lot of hospitals and roundabouts on motorways and things, but you wouldn't have a government. Um, they, they, uh, somebody else says, I disagree with your comment. The independents have a mandate from people. It is in no small way that we are sick and tired of the established parties that fiddled for decades and now hold that the whole country's gone downhill. Uh, it's going to go downhill a lot faster, believe me, if you have a minority government supported by a, a sheaf of independents and another party on the opposition benches. 
whatever way you think about it, we need a government that can make decisions. There's enormous trouble coming down the line. Uh, the Irish people created the problem, says David in BlackRock, by voting in these Mickey Mouse independent TDs. Well, the Irish people got what they voted for, so you can't complain about it. Uh, George, if you don't have a medical card, A&E costs €100. Euro. Medical insurance doesn't cover it. That's true. And most of those nay and nay medical cards, and there is no cost. And uh, everybody is telling me uh, it costs you less to go to your GP than attend an emergency department. That is if you're a private patient. But obviously, uh, the people going into A and E are not private patients. Um, Two months ago to the UK referendum on the EU, Jeremy Corbyn is the leader of the UK Labour Party and he's launched the campaign to stay. Here he goes. Over the years, I and many others have been very critical of many decisions taken by the EU and I remain very critical of its shortcomings. So Europe needs to change, but that change can only come from working with our allies in the European Union to achieve it. It's perfectly possible to be critical and still be convinced we need to remain a member. Britain needs to stay in the EU. Amazing. I, I mean, I don't agree with anything Corbyn says. And then all of a sudden he comes out and he sounds halfway reasonable. Uh, he's absolutely right. You change from within and not from outside. The issue about urinating inside the tent and outside the tent uh, holds good uh, in the issue of the EU. And on quotas, very rarely agree with you, George, but agree with you on quotas, says a listener. Academic achievement is something that has to be awarded based on hard work, not gender. Stop calling it soccer, James says. It's football. It's football. Are you happy now? Who cares? You know, everybody knows what it is. It's soccer, it's football, it's association football. It's a zillion things. Anyway, where is this thing soccer? Why is it so wrong to call it soccer? Johnny Giles calls it soccer all the time, does he not? Uh, so, okay, 70% of the lecturers are women, but 70% of the professors are men. Academic achievement already doesn't matter, so why should it suddenly matter now? I don't know. All right, 1953 was a great year for music. Bill Hughes will pick some essential songs after six o'clock. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie who better now to talk on the farce that is dull and than News Talk's political editor, Shane Cole. What no, have you got to say? No, no, if, you no if you're not going to tell me something interesting, no farce, No farce, a, a step, albeit a very slow step, a snail-like step, uh, along the road to Enda Kenny becoming Taoiseach. He will be Taoiseach this time next week. He will be back re-elected as Taoiseach. You're kidding. This has cleared the way. No, this has cleared the way How? for us. Explain. Because uh, what Micheál Martin did today was the is the equivalent you know in rugby when there's a penalty given but the play goes on and the out half has a has a go at a drop goal. That's exactly what Michal Martin did today. He he'd been told for weeks by the independents we'd prefer you as Taoiseach. And he said, right, okay, let's see the colour of the money. Let's give him a chance to vote. If they vote for me, great. I'm in pole position to be Taoiseach. If they don't vote for me, 
well then that's it and it frees me up to allow Enda Kenny become Taoiseach and support it because I will have exhausted all the avenues he as it turned out he missed the drop goal none of the independents voted for him in fact one of the independents voted for Enda Kenny it has copper fastened it has nailed down Enda Kenny as the next Taoiseach uh, and I think it could happen as as quickly as next Wednesday. Where did this from? I don't see this at all. But you're the whiz kid, but I still don't see it. Well, uh, Mion Martin's speech after the votes was significant. Now he had a he a you know he had a cut at Finnegale. He basically said he didn't like the way they had been, uh, the way they went around their business, the way they'd kind of been leaking against Fianna Fáil, the kind of partisan way they went about their business. But he also said, "It's time to move on." And he pretty much signalled in as in as much as he could but that they way, are open if to If Neil Martin deal. says, uh, you know, time to move on, that means that you know we have a cardiac care centre in Waterford. No, we it have doesn't, money it in doesn't, South it doesn't. Tipperary Infirmary. It doesn't we have we have a roundabout in Kenmare. Like it, it, it certainly second. means some of the independents you will see three ca- cabinet ministers uh, from the independent ranks there is no doubt about that You're and that is, for, uh, that is that You're will be the cabinet me. yeah and by the way like you, you have to take your hat off to Catherine Zappone I mean the independents I thought the independents made a complete mess of things today and yet again they were left sitting on the fence with splinters but, in but, their backside. But, but of course the they made... But first of all, before we get to Catherine's opponent, which is very important, of course the Independent made a mess of, mess of it because they are rudderless and leaderless. Yeah, they they are. have 18 different I, points I mean, you of had, view. You had independents at various stages today coming out and saying, the time for sitting on the fence is over. I'm not going to be abstaining. I will be voting for a government. And then they all get in a room together and they all agree to do nothing. And that's effectively what they did. Um, and that I think that raises big question marks. Do they want to be in government? Are they interested in implementing policy? They can't keep hiding behind this Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil need to do a deal. Why doesn't Enda Kenny just say I don't want you at all? Because Let's he needs have an election. Because he needs them. Let's have an election. If Andy Kenny can't have an election, George, if Andy Kenny has an election, he's gone. He will not lead Fine Gael. But he won't be the leader of Fine Gael in the election. The leader of Fine Gael in the election will be Varadkar or Coveney yeah, or Fitzgerald. But, but, but then, so he's he's committing political Harry yeah, Carey. He's not going to do... Andy Kenny wants to be returned as Taoiseach. That's the, and he will be returned as Taoiseach next week. Catherine's a pony. You have to hand it to her. I mean, what I th- did she do? Well, she voted for Enda Kenny. And she saw this is an opportunity here while the other independents are prevaricating and issuing statements and banging their chest and all that. She said, you know what? I'm just going to vote for Enda Kenny. And Enda Kenny is the kind of politician... Who will who, make her a cabinet he, minister. Well, she has guaranteed herself a junior ministry. Whether or not it's a cabinet ministry, I don't know. But she has put herself on... Because in the next government, there will be, I reckon, three independent cabinet ministers and three independent junior ministers. And he needs a woman. He, and the, the, more fact women, that, the fact the that she's a woman, it, it does not hurt, certainly. But Enda Kenny is also the kind of politician who, he doesn't forget who his friends are or who his enemies are. And the fact that she she voted for him today and she gave him an extra little, now it is a, a very small push, but nonetheless, this was the day that Micheál Martin was going to win the independence. He didn't win any. Enda Kenny won one. She has put herself in first position to be a junior minister. I, in terms of pure strategy, you have to say Well, I was listening to you this morning, as was a listener. You thought me old Martin was going to win I this did, morning. Sorry, I did not say that. And I what didn't. did you say? I didn't. I said, 
I said it will be very interesting if Micheál Martin gets a number of independents to go from. I was asked by Ivan specifically what did I think would happen. I said I think the independents will sit on the fence. That was my final right. word on it, and I think they will now. After that interview, uh, Matty McGrath came out and said, I'm not going to sit in defence. Um, Michael Healy Ray said the same thing. I said, that's interesting that both of them are signalling they're going to go with Micheál Martin. This could be an interesting day. But I never, I never thought that Enda Kenny, Enda Kenny was always the front runner today. It's turned out to be more emphatic than anyone thought. Um, but I certainly didn't say by more emphatic you mean because nobody voted for me on well we are talking about a slow bicycle race it's more emphatic in that sense Uh, he has wobbled along a tiny bit further today but uh, can I just say something to you do you know how many people are now homeless in the country do you know how many children are now homeless do you do, do you know uh, uh, how many uh, people are going into A&E because they can't afford to go to a doctor do you know how many people like it just goes on uh, yeah. go on and on and, and, and on how does that meanwhile help us the these how guys do those, how do those facts help us produce because the these guys heard, won't you know what I'm actually fed up with the the populist claptrap about the people are coming program. out. No, across all stations, all programmes. People said it's a disgrace, they're a share, they couldn't organise a pee up in a brewery and all this kind of stuff. This is what we voted for. The idea you were going to simply get a government out of the chaos that we collectively voted for is for the birds. It was always going to take time to sort this out. And I'm sorry, but these are the processes you have to go through to form a government. But, but you don't get a government at the end of it. What you get is a, is, is a hodgepodge of 18 fellas looking for roundabouts and hospitals and, and, and television aerials and whatever their particular well, that's fancy Well, that's where Fianna Fáil comes into play in terms of their support for an, a minority administration. It means things like... Uh, Halligan saying, I want Waterford General Hospital to have cardiac care. When the experts have said, that is not a good idea. I don't think that will wash. And I don't think Fine Gael will do that. Now, will it mean some constituency deals? It probably will. But I think it'll also mean things like a Minister for Rural Affairs, a Minister for, for Disability, which are some of the issues, some of the very few issues that, that the independents are looking for. Look, is it ideal to have independents in there in the Cabinet? I think probably not. But... What other government do you form out of this? Well, explain to me. How many votes have Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil together? Well, Fine, Fine Gael is 50... Have they more than 50% seats? Yes. So therefore, you have a Fine Gael minority government, right? Yeah. To mind the independents, to mind Sinn Féin... And then they're supported by Fianna Fáil. That's yeah. ninety odd seats. I think. Why do you have to have? Optics, why do you have to optics. have? Ah, Jane, we're talking I'm just, I'm just about telling, I'm telling you what it's. I'm telling you how it'll be perceived. Finnegan Field. They cannot form a government of fifteen senior ministers and fifteen junior ministers drawn exclusively from the ranks of fifty Finnegan. So you have three fifths of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party as a minister. But that's they what we think, voted for, you they, just they don't told think it's me. Tenable. That's well, what we voted for. Well, I don't, think, I don't think people voted for a single party Fine Gael government. Well, people, I doubt very much if people voted for seven weeks of inaction. I doubt if people voted for... Well, they uh, did, well, effectively. Well, yeah, that's how, but that's not what was in their head. No more than they voted for Labour to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil. Didn't vote for that no, either. They did. They certainly didn't. Look, it's just, it's that idea of a, a Fine Gael on their own just will not happen. 
it, it, the, the, the government for perception reasons needs to be seen but to incorporate But why is all interests. this palaver take the only sensible thing Willie O'Dea said today in, in a nonsense contribution the only sensible thing he said was uh, Andy Kenny is desperate to be the first ever Fine Gael person re-elected as teacher Yeah Look Is that any way to run a country no. on one person's uh, I, You know what I, I, I think that's overstated at this stage Enda Kenny's not a fool. He knows if if and when he is returned as Taoiseach next Wednesday. It's a Pyrrhic victory. It's, you know, it's not, it's not a Fine Gael Taoiseach being returned for a historic moment. He's getting it with, you know, having been hammered in the election, scraping over the line. He will be gone, I'm guessing, within six months as Taoiseach. Um, but and the I mean, the jostling for position this, will begin straight away. All right, but the other problem with this uh, a technical government that they then deliver, right, is that it actually favours Fianna Fáil sitting on the opposition benches than Fianna Gael in government. Well, there's two ways of looking at that. I mean, some people are saying, what's in it for Fianna Fáil? They're getting none of the trappings of being in, in government and none of the influence and yes they'll be like accused daily by Sinn Féin of propping up a Fine Gael government um, so I'm not sure which it is I suspect you're right I suspect it will work to Fianna Fáil's advantage I think Micheál Martin will be Taoiseach within four four years three or four years um, but following today it won't be any time immediately soon look this government you're this asking, government could fall at the very first it won't. fest. No, it absolutely will not fall at the first fest because it nobody can stand over that. The, the The budget will be agreed. The government will survive until autumn 2017. After that, all bets are off. But it will certainly survive the first Look, budget. Look, let's take the first budget. The first budget, all the nonsense about USC and, you know, we did Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be a neutral budget. The it won't be particularly... space has disappeared. The fiscal the space is gone, yeah. Who I, Have you heard the word fiscal space since the election results? No. Because there's no money now. There's, there's little money there. There's no doubt about it. But, George, politically... They, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil can't go to the electorate having fallen at the first hurdle. They would be laughed out of it. So you can guarantee that they will get a budget through. All right. One question we've ignored, uh, for not ignored, but we haven't tackled and we have to do it quickly. Where are Labour in all this? Labour are in disarray. Labour are in absolute disarray. They have a leader who, it seems, is not sure if she wants to go, despite the fact that they lost 30 out of 37 uh, seats. And you have your man enraptured with the drug of power, Yeah, Alan and Kelly. you have Brendan Howland. We were talking about people sitting on the fence. Brendan Howland needs to get off the fence and actually say if he wants to lead the Labour Party and grab it by the you-know-what if he does. Because the last thing the Labour need, Labour Party need is a drawn-out leadership contest. The length and well, breadth of the country... why don't they go into power? They, I, I put that question to a Labour uh, senior Labour figure today, and they said, "Look, forget about it. It's not even, it's not even been talked about in the Labour Party. They wouldn't get it through a party conference. What you might see happening is them supporting, in the same way as Fianna Fáil, the government from the outside. You might see Labour figures, the seven Labour TDs, voting for Fine Gael on certain votes. You may even see them voting for Enda Kenny as Taoiseach potentially uh, next week. But it will be nothing more than that. But They're, you're not going to get a decision, a real decision." a ballsy decision out of this government for the next three years. 
You're not going to get a decision that that has any risk component in it. Unless, unless, unless they can actually get this new politics to work and involve the opposition. What's and this new? All I'm reading about from you uh, uh, political experts <laughs> in the newspapers is you know, it's a new politics. I read this morning well, some fellas well, saying if you get a, this if you new get a, If you get a special a budget committee that actually draw up the bu- that draws up the budget on a cross party basis, they're given the sums and say you work it out. That's new politics. That would be different. Now, whether or not that will work, whether or not it'll work, I accept, is open to question. But why does it work in New Zealand? Why does it work in Denmark? Why does it work in Sweden? Because they're not Irish. No, it's it's more complex than that. Maybe, now maybe... That is the reason. It's because they're not or maybe, Irish. Maybe they don't have the Healy Rays and on, on others in Denmark and Sweden, as, as one uh, as one <laughs> TD said to me. Uh, no disrespect to the Healy Rays and others. Yeah. And what about Irish water? Well, Michal Martin, it was, he did mention it in his speech at the end. He basically said, you have to listen to us on Irish water. So, look, there's... I, it's, I tell you what this does. This copper facets, which is a great phrase these days, this copper facets that you'll be on here every day of the week talking about this horse manure for years to come. And the Kenny, will be, great and the Kenny will be T-shirt next This Wednesday. was designed for you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Shane Coleman, News Talks. Political editor for life. The right hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie. Uh, where am I going next? Oh, I know. I'm going to travel editor at Independent.ie. Paul O'Connella. Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, George. Uh, I probably should say Paul, shouldn't I? Oh, one or other will do. I'm used to both at this stage. Oh, you're right. Well, ask Elga Paul. Um, the the Australian uh, Foreign Affairs Department has updated its travel advice, and they're talking about tensions surrounding the Easter Rising centenary. Are are they a bit uh, off the ball here, or do you think they have a uh, uh, reason for this? Well, that's the question. What they've done, as you rightly say, they've updated their advice. They have said tensions between dissident Republicans and unionists have increased in the lead up to the centenary of the Easter Rising. Now, as we know, we've had the state uh, commemorations, but the calendar uh, anniversary is the 24th to 29th of April. So what it's saying is to Australians thinking of travelling, you should avoid all protests and demonstrations. Um, including those associated with Northern Ireland, as they may turn violent. Instances of civil order can escalate into violence, and you should avoid them wherever possible. Okay, but at the same time, if they were reading the Sydney Morning Heralds this morning, they might well have had a story of two dissidents arrested on a major motorway carrying carrying uh, explosives in the boot or somebody shot dead in Dublin this afternoon. Yeah. Wouldn't be on the Morning Herald, it'd be on tomorrow's paper. But do you know what I mean? Oh, I do. Uh, it, it depends on the view you take. If you pull back and take a little bit of a broader view, you might say that this seems outdated and and talk about tensions that would disrupt travel might seem to be overstepping the mark or going a bit far. Of course, you're going to have uh, isolated events, but the whole question of calling it as to whether this is now a genuine genuine fear or not, I'm just not sure we're at that point, George. 
Interesting they talk about uh, ATM scams. I mean, we do have ATM scams in this country. Yeah, now there's a a second part to the advice, and that is dealing with crime. And what they particularly say is that car theft and break-ins are increasing in Ireland, that tourists are being targeted in Dublin and in tourist locations, particularly rental cars, and that there are ATM and credit card scams. That doesn't surprise me. No, because, sorry, Paul, uh, also, I mean, remember in Florida a few years ago, they were actually warning people about picking up rental cars in Florida. Do you remember? I do, I do. And, um, like, if if you have any listeners who are heading off to Barcelona, you will be warned about pickpockets, you will be warned about being sensible with... uh, That particular piece of advice could be any real European or big city, I think. So it doesn't surprise me. But that's not to say you should dismiss it. I do think it's a bit of a wake-up call here that there was 200,000 or more visitors from Australia and New Zealand came to Ireland last year. So it's a significant chunk of our inbound tourism uh, being t- being given this official advice by a, by a government, so it's worth take, taking heed of it. Yeah, but I it, the the advice given by the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs would be very different for say Tunisia than it would be for Ireland. I mean, the Australians presumably can read between the lines that if they go to any country, they've got to be careful in their motor car with their ATM and credit card uh, that there's there are criminals around or whatever. I mean, the more I read it, I have to say, and you're a travel editor at independent.ie, so you're, you're more on this, I was less upset about it the more I read it. Yeah, you're absolutely right in the sense that there is no comparison here with Tunisia, with Egypt, or with with other European countries such as France and Belgium, where Ireland would have raised its own travel alerts um, in recent months. The the distinction to make here is that Australia hasn't changed its travel alert level for Ireland. Governments have green for sort of nor take normal precautions, then they go to exercise caution, then exercise extreme caution, they step it up to do not travel. This is at the other end of the scale. They've just basically put in a few new okay. paragraphs into their advice to say, look, the, the centenary is coming up, there's been a bump in these kinds of crime. Take note and then make your own decision. All right, thank you, Paul O'Connell, a travel editor at independent.ie. Now, Onomara Walsh is chief executive of the Irish Tourist Industry Confederation. Owen, welcome to the programme. Uh, Hi, George. Have you a concern about this? Well, I don't think it's helpful. I'm not entirely sure where the information comes from. I mean, all our evidence and, and uh, statistics, which come from the Central Statistics Office and from Fulcher Ireland, point out that Australians actually see Ireland as a very safe and secure environment and atmosphere. So I'm not entirely sure where that information is coming from. Well, you see, uh, I mean, it would uh, worry uh, that there's somebody in the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs writes in all seriousness, you know, you should avoid all protests and demonstrations, including those associated with Northern Ireland. I mean, there haven't been any protests or uh, uh, demonstrations. I mean, there's been a celebration or commemoration, if you will, uh, but there haven't been any protests or demonstrations. That's right, George. In fact, if you if you saw Ireland from um, the, the 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 TV shots from um, the weekend celebrations and commemorations of Easter Rising, you'd, it only it only looks uh, the country only looks superb and very welcoming and friendly. It's a surprise. I mean, we get about two hundred and fifty thousand um, Australians a year. 
um, and they spend collectively um, a significant chunk of money. They actually spend about 966 euro per person uh, when they're here. But, so they're but a can valuable we... component of the tourism economy. But can we write to some fella in Sydney now and tell him, or Canberra, uh, that, like, hey, listen, you're off the wall here, mate. You need to correct your assessment of the country. Can we well, do, I do that? Well, I, I, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation, which I represent, we're all the umbrella group of the, of the tourism interests. Certainly, it's something that we'd like to have a conversation with the relevant authorities about because we think yeah. the information is good. And we don't see where the information comes from. Maybe and we do have an ambassador out there, so maybe he should be calling them up, shouldn't he? Yeah, I, 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 would certainly, I would certainly think there's merit in somebody finding out where the information has come from. Because I don't think it's accurate and I don't think it's fair to Ireland and certainly the tourism product here. I mean, we know we have our, our problems, but I mean, all big cities, you could as well talk about, I mean, if, if you could well say to Irish people now, if you go to Sydney or Melbourne, you want to be careful with your ATM card or whatever, isn't that so? Exactly. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're quite careful in terms of how we research all this. And one of the top reasons that the Australian and New Zealand market choose Ireland as a holiday destination is its safety and security. So by all means, its culture and its landscape and its people and so on are important. But right up there is safety and security. So by all means, Australia and New Zealand should be careful when they're here, just like they're careful in, in any yeah. other European city. But, but, but sorry, there's, there's, certainly yeah. no, there's certainly no merit in, in dialing up um, a, a perceived or a potential uh, fear that isn't there. Well, Owen, I was just going to say in conclusion, I mean, it's slightly different in 2016 when you talk about uh, any kind of security crisis in European country because 2016 is quite different from previous years following Paris, Brussels and so on. So it's vitally important that we've got a very positive message out in Australia. Absolutely, and I think generally the image of Ireland is a very positive one. That's why I'm kind of scratching my head here a little okay. bit, wondering where this information and this in, this intelligence comes from. I'd, li I'd like to see the data behind it, and I'd certainly like to see it addressed insofar as the okay. um, the information be, be, be pulled down, because I, I really don't think it's got a, a place to play. All right, thank you so much for joining me. Owen Amara Walsh, Chief Executive of the Irish Tourist Industry Confederation. I agree with him. We should actually do something about it. Just we don't sit in our butt. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Tomorrow in Dublin Castle, the 2016 Arab-Irish Business Forum takes place. This is uh, uh, how we do business with the Middle East. With me in the studio are one of the organisers of the event, the country manager for Emirates Ireland, uh, Enda Corneal, and Tom Kyo of Kyo's Farm, who sells me potatoes on a regular basis, either in, in chip form or crisp form or potatoes. Tom, welcome to the programme. Thank you, George. Now, I've heard of selling coals to Newcastle and water to Edmonton. Uh, desert and our, uh, you know, how do you, is there a big market for potatoes amongst the Arabs? Uh, there is, there is, yeah. Well, it's it's actually more of an expat market that we I, would I was be wondering, yeah. targeting out there. But uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting story. Um, when I first looked at it, the idea of selling fresh potatoes into the Middle East um, and especially air freighting them over uh, yeah. weekly was, it was quite an alien idea. Um, but then when we got familiarised ourselves with the market and we seen actually what was happening over there, um, we started selling back in 2012. 
and it's gone from strength to strength. Sales continue to grow month on month. And, and is this in the form of potatoes or, or, or crisps? Well, that's, we've, we actually started with fresh potatoes in 2012, especially our little easy cook bags that cook, cook in the microwave. Um, so they've continued to grow. And then uh, from, I suppose, off the back of that, we got a listing with our, our hand-cooked crisps in 2015. So last June, the yeah. first sales of them were in, and they've gone from strength to strength. Yeah, I have to tell you, I can't get the lovely Ingrid to microwave the potatoes, and I think it's the only way to go. And the Cornelia Emirates, the thing I saw a figure recently, the kind of stuff you're carrying, I know you're carrying passengers, but what you're carrying in the hold to the Middle East, because Dubai is is your access point for, for that entire area. Yeah, I mean, George, every day we carry 50 tonnes of cargo, which can be anything from perishable foodstuffs uh, such as the crisps, but also ice cream, cheese, yogurt, uh, tonnes of salmon, fresh crabs, uh, clams, as well as uh, IT equipment, pharmaceuticals. So what are you trying to achieve tomorrow in Dublin Castle then at this Arab-Irish conference? Well, this is the second uh, of these forums. Uh, We had one last year. Last year's theme was really demystifying the Gulf and and the Arab world for Irish business people. This year, I suppose it's addressing some of the changes that are are, are happening and coming within the Arab world. Uh, The low price of oil, uh, growing populations. Uh, It's also looking at new markets potentially, such as Morocco, Egypt and Jordan. And thirdly, it's, I suppose, providing Irish business exporters with some practical help around doing business in the the Arab world, in the Gulf, such as doing business with family run firms, for example, getting paid, the legalities about setting up companies, sourcing talent. I was just going to say that, like, you know, when the IDA kind of started and, and also the Irish Export Board, as it was then called, you know, we were really looking at kind of England and maybe a bit of America or something. And a lot of it was cattle on the hoof on a boat. This is an this is a huge development. But the point you make, how complicated is it dealing with the Middle East? Well, I suppose the game changer was the direct flight. I mean, that opened up the market for yeah. exporters, uh, both travelling as passengers or business people uh, and cargo. Uh, Emirates flies to Dubai. Flies to Dubai twice daily. Okay. Uh, so we were offering 22,000 seats a month. So that, that's been a game changer operating now since 2012. Um, but I think the way of doing business in the Gulf actually suits uh, the Irish business mentality. You do business in the US, you'll spend 5% of your time talking about family and chit chat and 95% talking about the deal. It's the opposite in the Gulf. It's a lot of time spent talking about the family, talking about anything other than business and that social aspect to it. And the fact that, you know, you need to be there. You need to have the meeting, spend the time, gain the trust. Then the deals will come. That's really interesting. I have to tell you, my entire knowledge of dealing with Arabs comes from Peter O'Toole and Alec Guinness in Lawrence of Arabia. OK, but the interesting thing, strangely enough, where the film, they, they, because Lawrence understood the Arabs and he understood their convoluted way. You know, they talked. Uh, interesting. I'm listening to Enda and I'm thinking of, of that. Was it the same for you? I mean, did you have to learn a whole new sales approach? No, I I think we naturally have uh, 
very similar cultures here in Ireland and really? a very similar approach to, to marketing ourselves and selling our products. And then like de- chanting about the family and not yeah, about I, the price of the potatoes. Exactly. And okay. and what Enda okay. said there is, is very true. Uh, that whole value of family and family business definitely rings true in the Arab states and, and is, ver- is a common team here in Ireland. And so in the mo- fact that Tom Kyo of Kyo's potatoes is actually there helps you mean? Uh, exactly, but not only Tom Kyo. If Tom Kyo was there with Tom Kyo's father, or maybe Tom Kyo's sister and brother, talking to another family business in Dubai, for example, that's a very, very powerful message, and they really do respect that. Uh, so, if you back that up with a really, really high quality. Uh, product from Ireland, a country that they see as a very safe and sustainable source for high quality food products. You know, it's it's really hard to beat that. What sort of populations are we talking about here, Enda Cornell? Like you're 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 you said to me you have twenty two thousand seats a month going out there. That's an awful lot of people flying to Dubai yeah, I mean, by but, air. But twenty percent of those now will actually stop off in Dubai. The rest will continue onwards. Okay. But I mean in terms of populations I mean, Dubai, we talk about a lot, uh, but the Gulf and the Gulf states obviously are, are wider. It's Qatar, it's Oman. But like countries like Saudi Arabia, that's a 70 million population. That's an enormous market. You've got Iraq, um, Iran, obviously it's Persian, but it's coming on stream as well. So the prize for Irish exporters is enormous. And I think what we're seeing is that companies are doing business in Dubai and then using Dubai as a jumping off point to do business in other areas of the Middle East. All right, but my rather limited experience, like flying to Dubai with Emirates and, and spending some time there, not a lot, but, but some time there, is that Dubai, by the standards of the Middle East, would be a very liberal kind of country in terms of alcohol, stuff like this, whereas Saudi Arabia, as you mentioned, would be on the other extreme of that kind of liberality, which would therefore make it more difficult to sell. Well, I think you can't consider the Middle East as one homogenous group. Each country has its own uh, cultures, its own... Uh, restrictions, if you can call them that. I think you're right. I think Dubai is is, is quite Western in its approach, but it also, you know, respects uh, history and tradition. And I think that's the other strong point that Irish exporters have. They're aware of that, you know, coming from Ireland. So they're very comfortable dealing with different cultures, whether that be in Qatar, in Oman, in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, Irish business people, men and women, are succeeding in these markets because of that. All right, but Tom Kyo, when you're selling your potatoes, as anybody in business knows, it's easy <clears throat> to sell something that's hard to get paid. Enda raised at the very beginning about how you negotiate, but also how you get paid. Is, is it complicated getting paid? Um, for for us, it's not because we would deal with it with a distributor that has local knowledge and experience that can deal with that aspect of it. So for for us, it's it's more about talking to the to the end user and getting a branded product onto the shelf. The background business piece around the dealings and the payment and stuff like that that would that would be handled by our distributor. One of the things I always worried about when I did this, like, was exchange, you know, variation. So you have like the Durham, uh, which is the currency in Dubai, for instance. I mean. The Durham is fairly stable. I mean, I'm looking at dollar today is say one ten, but it's mm. been one thirty and it's been one oh five. You know, does the Durham vary then? I suppose in since about 2012 and the the time that we've been dealing in the market, I think we've gone from a little over five to one to about today it's about what about four point two something. Four point two, yeah. yeah, to one today. So in that period of four to five years, there's been actually very little fluctuation. Whereby, as you suggested, the dollar and the sterling have have gone uh, up and down considerably. Yeah, the the 
the question of cargo, you know, because we most of us who fly don't think about cargo. We think about our bags all right. But is it the same plane? Is it the same Emirates aircraft which has passengers on board, the bags on board, and then there's another portion of the plane which is full of ice cream, strawberries yeah, and Tom's I mean, potatoes? We're operating the Boeing 777, which has enormous capacity in the hold. So it'll take 362 passengers in the cabin it'll take all their bags and then it'll take 50 tons of cargo so you know it's 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 a pretty full aircraft when it gets going and as i said it can be anything i mean it could be baby powder to china it could be foodstuffs to the middle east um but you know to the point um of getting paid i mean that's a great reason for people to come to the forum tomorrow i mean we have spaces still available uh Irish business forum is the website but understanding you know the importance for example of dealing with a partner dealing with a distributor not trying to do it everything yourself is a key learning for for potential exporters and we'll deal with issues like getting paid as, as tom said yeah, Tom, finally, the, uh, which is a good point, because we know culturally uh, the Arab world is different, particularly in relation to women. We know that. Uh, so you mentioned, and I was I meant to ask you, and now I remembered, you mentioned your brother and your sister, for argument's sake. They, like, are there gender issues about working in the Middle East? Again, you, you mentioned that Dubai is, is quite liberal liberal and uh, that's that's very true like uh, visiting Dubai is is just like visiting London as yeah. far as I'm concerned and doing business there is 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 no different and what I have found in the years that we spent in the marketplace it, it is such a great place to do business everybody is so positive everybody's looking forward pointing in the right direction and it's it's a real it's a real we're going to do this attitude you know so when we go out there to, to try market our product and talk to our customers it's it's such a breath of fresh air and coming back out of that marketplace you really feel energised and, and as things are really going to work over there. Oh, I just You just don't go over when it's sort of 45 degrees in the shade, is it? No, I try to go over in January when it's 28 <laughs> degrees in the shade. <laughs> All right. Twice a day, Emirates? Twice Dubai. a day. All right. So the, the, let me get it right. It's the uh, the webpage important it's if somebody wants to go. www.arabirishbusinessforum.ie arabirishbusinessforum.ie we, we start tomorrow morning at about 8.30. And Sandra says the best crisps ever. Couldn't get a better uh, recommendation than that. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between 4.30 and 7 every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.